Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly, as I must speak. And the second lesson is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. beginning at verse 31. And it's headed, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your own faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Jesus and Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Shall we pray? Lord, as we look at the scriptures this morning, would you open them up to us? As we've heard your written word. So may we hear this spoken word and may we above all see the word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Saviour, who sits 
in the heavenly realms. Far above all authority and anything that would get in the way. Because Jesus is Lord. And so we claim your promises this morning. In his name. Amen. Last week, if you were here, I said that we are given examples from the military world to explain what it means to live as a Christian today. On a number of occasions, we're given, if you like, instructions and pictures that our call of duty is to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. On other occasions, we find that not only are we told to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, but we're also given various weapons that we use as, as soldiers. And the reason we're given these military examples is because as, as, as Christians, we live in a world that's not a playground. You know, we live in a battleground. You know, and if you don't think that, then why is the technology not working? as we'll look at this morning. You see, we, we live in this world, as, as Paul describes here, and as I was saying at the 8 o'clock community, that they'd never really thought of it this way. They thought, well, it's a battleground. You know, it's a, it's a struggle to be a Christian out there because you only have to read verse 12 to see that. And this, there's this lovely quote on the big front of your handout from, from C.S. Lewis that we read last week about how he took that. And remember when he wrote these words, he wrote those words just after the Second World War. But actually those words were broadcast first during the Second World War on the BBC. And there were a series of, of talks that were, that were basically that he read on BBC Radio. And you can just imagine him reading those words, couldn't you? And thinking, wow, hasn't times changed on the BBC? You know, and today's reading is perhaps the most famous that we have. The most famous that we have of what it means to be a soldier for Jesus Christ. And just as a way of introduction, let's just introduce ourselves into the into the theme this morning, we read that the, the enemy we face is not people. It's not flesh and blood, as we read in verse 12. It's the devil who uses, we read there, who will stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there is the Greek word where we get the word methods from. It means all sorts of deceitful schemes, all sorts of slippery tricks that he will try to use that will stop us whether they be physical in this world, whether they be spiritual in the heavenly world. And so that, when we get that picture straight away, we should realize how it is a struggle in verse 11, and the, in verse 12. And the idea of struggle is here, is think of a wrestling contest. You know, some of you, I grew up in the 70s. And in the 70s, I had a piano teacher who was a battle axe. She was, she was about 90, but she used to work all the hours teaching people to, be, to do piano, apart from on a Saturday afternoon. Because on the Saturday afternoon, she used to watch the wrestling on World of Sport. 
And kind of, I was too young for that, but I always remember her telling me how she, she stopped to watch the wrestling. And that's what you have to think about when Paul is talking about this, this passage here. It's a wrestling contest. And of course, in the first century, wrestling was a huge sport. Think about the, forget WWE now. It wasn't fixed. It was a real battle, a real struggle. And then four times we read that it's important that as a Christian, we stand. Look in verse 11, stand against. Verse 13, withstand. 13 again, stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. And he's meaning the same thing or a similar thing as to what he means to stand. It means to resist, to kind of draw a line in the sand and say no more. Just to hold one's ground. That's what it meant. It kind of meant that when we were under pressure, not to bury our head in the sand, but to just stand and prevail. And that's what it means to be, to be strong in the Lord. And of course, as we, if you were here last week, we had those shields, didn't we, that the children had done. Because one of the ways in which the Greek historians will tell us the Roman Empire conquered the then known world was because a Roman soldier just had this ability to stand. Whatever the opposition was, they could just stand. And it was their call of duty, if you like, to stand. To stand resolutely, to wrestle as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so this morning... We're going to expand on the three themes that we introduced last week as to how we stand as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And here's the first. The first way that we, we stand and we wrestle is by, is by looking up. You know, the Apostle Paul, who many see as, who wrote this letter to the Ephesians and who actually wrote about a third of the New Testament... You know, he had a particular way in which he would describe a Christian. Do you know how many times Paul used the word Christian in, his, in all of his writings in the Bible? Anyone want to take a guess how many times you think Paul might use the word Christian in, in his letters? He wrote a third of the New Testament. What do we think? Zero. And I thought about that and I thought, why on earth would he not use the word Christian ever? In fact, the word Christian is only mentioned three times in the whole of the New Testament. It's interesting, isn't it? What then has then happened because I find that word, and then it was used as a nickname, really. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because I hear all these sorts of people who say to me, I'm a Christian. And I kind of think, oh, good. But then I find what they mean by that. You know, this is how I've found it, I've found it vocalized. I'm a Christian because I've been christened. Or my parents are, or I ticked a box on a survey, or I go to church at Christmas, or I follow Christian values. You know, none of those things make us Christian. You know, we could go down the list. Paul would say Christian is a, well, he'd use a different word. He'd use two words to describe what it meant to be a follower, a learner of Jesus Christ. He would use these two words, in Christ. That's what the words he would use, in Christ. He would use it 164 times, one commentator has written. 
And that's important because in all that we do, in all that we stand and we wrestle, in all that it means to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we remember whose we are. And we remember that we are in Christ. This is where our hope, this is where our significance comes from, isn't it? As the great modern day hymn comes, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my my light, my strength, my song. And the picture that Paul wants to get across is this in remembering whose we are. If you were to read the beginning of Ephesians, you'd read about how he would, Paul would describe Jesus' life. And then he'd talk about Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension. And if you remember four weeks ago, I asked the question, what is Jesus doing now? And we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's praying for us. And then he goes on to say something incredible at the beginning of of, of chapter 2 in verses 4 to 6. He says, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you become in Christ, we are then raised with him. And we, even though we live on this earth, we sit in the heavenly realms. And the idea that, and the perspective that, Paul is trying to get across there is that we might live here but that same authority that Jesus has from sitting at the right hand of the Father is now available to every Christian because of whose we are. So if you like we stand and we wrestle and we wrestle yes against physical technology but we wrestle at the powers behind those technology, flaws, and so on. And that's the mindset every day we need to have. Because if you look at verse, verse 12 here in Ephesians 6, it reads, For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the heavenly realms. In other words, what he's saying is, They're the devil's allies. The physical forces or the supernatural forces hostile to God. And as he would describe it here, it's a pretty orchestrated campaign of evil. To rob, to steal, to destroy, because that's what the the devil wants to do in each of our lives. Now, before we go on, let's set it in context. Let's set a bit of balance because as C.S. Lewis would also talk about in the Screwtape Letters, if you've ever read that book, there are two extremes that we need to guard against. One is to kind of just kind of take an unhealthy interest in that whole supernatural, occultic area and to kind of see demons flying around every corner. And the other is to kind of ignore it altogether and to try and talk it away in sociological or psychological terms and so on from there, which you can't do. And even some of the leading secularists of, of the day, anyone read the book Sapiens? What's he called? That Israeli professor, Yutsov, I, think, I can't pronounce his word, but even he would say that actually their explanations to the worldview don't make sense. And they don't make sense because it's quite simple. These are spiritual forces that we enter into. 
And we see these spiritual forces, don't we, at work in our world. They'll affect individuals, they'll affect organisations and, and cultures. You'll see attacks from government and media organisations attacking Christians, speaking about Jesus' message. You know, let me give you a classic one that we've just seen this week. Anyone watch the Hong Kong? Anyone notice what's happened in Hong Kong this week? The, the kind of like where the government wanted to bring in this extradition law? And of course, six days ago, it was reported on the BBC, who's no friend of Christians, by the way. And it was reported, oh, people have protested and they've stopped. And that was the story. Does anyone know why the protest stopped? Anyone picked up on that yet? You know, there's a song. My guess is we probably sang it in this church, but we'd probably say now, affectionately, oh, we sing that song at St. George's. And this is what I mean. Anyone remember the song, Sing Hallelujah to the Lord? Anyone remember it? I could sing it for you. I <laughs> won't. <laughs> I might just say, but remember saying hallelujah. It's like a bit of a shout. You know, those Christians protesting and what they decided to do because they didn't want it to get violent was they would sing that song. And so when they faced the police barricades, they were just singing that song over and over and over again. It got so powerful that there were even people who were non-Christians there who were singing the same song. And it got so big, of course, this is what happens now in our world, isn't it? Social media pick up on it. And now what you'll find, if you read the BBC story this morning, you'll find that suddenly they've got to talk about it because everybody else is talking about it. It's the way in which... Now, we could say, oh, well, that's just coincidence. We could kind of portray it as a load of sort of like sociological, psychological claptrap, but I don't. You know, I've seen it in other ways as well. Other ways in which Christians will, will get attacked, you know, just by investing time in just an energy and irrelevant side issues. I've seen it with, with Christian leaders fall to the age-old temptations of money, sex, and power. I've seen it in anger, and relationship breakdowns in church. I've seen it in sickness. I've seen it in, remember the back of that, that star there? Remember and somebody, I said how somebody had written 36 names on the back of people who used to come to this church maybe 40 years ago, or maybe 30 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 15 years ago. Now, now they don't. Somehow they've just kind of been hit maybe by one of these struggles or just that drifting away that can happen so easily. And of course, it's a huge area that requires spiritual discernment. There's a great quote there from, from Stanley Howells. If you don't know who Stanley Howells is, he's, a, he's an American ethics professor. There's nothing right-wing about him at all. He is completely and utterly left-wing. And this is what he says, evil is large, cosmic, organized, subtle, perversive and real. The powers never appeal as evil or coercive. The powers always masquerade as freedoms that we've been graciously given or as necessities that we cannot live without. And I think Jesus just wants us this morning to remember whose we are 
Remember the authority that we've been given in him. And see things from far above rather than just seeing things in, in the trenches. Let me give you an example of that. I've said to you, the best book I ever read in 2017, you know, summer's coming up. Maybe you're about to go on your summer holidays, basically. The best book to, that I read in 2017 was this book, Dirty Glory, by Pete Gregg, that talks about the 24-7 prayer movement and the history of it, full of stories. I know some of you have read it as well. The story that impacted me the most was this story of the Scottish prayer warrior, James Matheson, who lived in the highlands of Scotland in the 19th century. Let me just read you something about what I'm trying to get across here. And apologies if you're Scottish, but I'm going to pronounce it wrong. He lived in a highland village called Clashnagrave five miles north of Dornoch. And he lived in, during most of the 19th century, which meant he lived at a time during the Crimean War. And during the Crimean War, every year he would intercede for his local soldiers, the 93rd Highlanders, who were fighting away on the front line for their lives. And it's said of James Matheson that it's this, that he always prayed in a particular place. And he prayed beside the river that ran past his house. And for many years after his death, you could still see the hollows worn away by his knees in the ground by that stream. And as he prayed relentlessly in Scotland, far away in Crimea, there were occasional sightings of a ghostly figure moving among the trenches at night. And these apparitions were no doubt dismissed by all but the most superstitious as a figment of their terrified and exhausted minds. But at the end of the war, the 93rd Highlanders returned to Scotland. They attended a, a service in the village. And in walked James Matheson. And those war-torn soldiers who'd seen everything turned and gasped. Because here before them stood the very man that they'd seen in those distant trenches, night after night, a ghostly figure, bringing strange comfort amidst the horrors of war. Somehow, him praying in Scotland had appeared among the very people for whom he had been so battling so fiercely. That is the authority that we have when we pray. As P.T. Forsyth said, lose the habit of wrestling and the hope of prevailing with God and you tend to lose the reality of prayer at last. You know, and I sometimes wonder in our 21st secular rational-minded society, have we lost something? Have we become anemic in our prayers when it comes to standing and wrestling against the devil. And the third thing I want to say in this area is we stand and we wrestle by looking up, remembering whose we are, remembering the authority we have, and actually holding on to the victory that Jesus has already won. As Paul would talk about in this letter, part of the reason we find prayer difficult, isn't it? 
And part of the reason we give in and we, we give up at times. And part of the reason why bad things still happen. And part of the reason why technology doesn't work at times. But hey, we've got a screen. It's because we wrestle in the period between, in the Christian story, D-Day and V-E-Day. The, Christi- the Christian story, D-Day, is the story of Jesus' death and his resurrection and his triumph over sin and death, but he only completely destroys death on V-E-Day when he returns. And just like it was difficult fighting between D-Day and V-E-Day in the Second World War, so it will be difficult as a Christian fighting in D-Day to V-E-Day, but we stand and we fight from a position of victory, not for victory. In other words, Jesus has done it all, and we hold on to that. I've left you a quote there from the great theologian Tom Wright. Just when we think about praying the Lord's Prayer, and what do we pray when we deliver from evil? Evil. It's just to pray this, to inhale the victory of the cross and just hold the line for another moment, another hour, another day against the world and against the powers of destruction that might even be within ourselves. That's what it means. We don't have to do anything new because Jesus has already done it all. And we stand and we wrestle looking up at whose we are in Christ, with the authority that he has then given us, and we hold on to the victory. And then we stand and we wrestle, having suited up. In verse 11 and verse 13 and verse 14. And the Greek tense here is really, really important because we don't don't necessarily pick it up. You can only stand and wrestle having put on the armor of God. Otherwise, you're kind of spiritually naked going out to to kind of wrestle. And we've got on the back of the handout that prayer that we prayed last week. It was one way that I've kind of suggested that we could put on the armor of God and that we should put on the armor daily. The reason we should put it on the armor daily is because we get attacked daily. And if you don't think you get attacked daily, let me ask you a simple question. Do you live the life every day that Jesus would live if he were you? And if you can answer yes to that question, then you don't need to put the armor of God on. But if you're like me and you can kind of think, I'm nowhere near that. That's why I need to put the armor of God on every day. And that's a prayer that you can pray every day. If you've got another one that you've used and it works for you, great. But if you haven't, let me tell you, every week, what did I say last week when I said, gave you the handout? I said, put it in your pocket. Take it home and pray it every day because that's who we're up against we read it's God's armour don't we we're putting on his characteristics and as we'll see now most of the the pieces of the armour they relate to a tactic for the way in which the devil will will try to attack you and most of the pieces of the armour if you know your Old Testament you'll know that they come from the Old Testament so if you ever thought why did Paul come up with this idea of Oh, well, let's have, let's have a belt and we'll call it truth. 
Or let's have a shield and we'll call it faith. Or let's have a breastplate and we'll call it righteousness. And you've got the references there that you can see on your handout. They're all, they all come from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Depicting the Lord, if you like, as a, as a mighty warrior fighting with his armor on. That's where all the images come from. And you can look at them later. And so on. And to those first hearers in the church at Ephesus. That was what their backdrop was that they knew straight away. He's talking about Isaiah. He's talking about this particular moment in Isaiah chapter 11 when the anointed king comes to bring in the reign of justice. Or he's talking in Isaiah 49 about how the servant speaks with a mouth like a, like a double-edged sword. And so we put on each of these pieces of the armor. We put on the belt of truth. Here's the thing about a Roman's belt. Because, of course, what did a Roman soldier wear underneath his armor? He had a tunic. Now, I've never worn a dress apart from a cassock. But I do know this. You kind of... It all gets in the way. It kind of all gets in the way. You can't fight with it on. That's why they had a belt, because it kept everything in place. And for, a, and for someone who is in Christ, basically, the belt is truth, because integrity keeps everything in place. That's why, what did Jesus call the devil? He called him the father of lies, who just want to come and spread lie after lie, just a little seed of doubt, just a little half-truth. I mean, crumbs, it's like, don't take this the wrong way, but it's like Donald Trump's method of arguing, isn't it? Throwing enough lies, half-truths and mistruths out there and nobody knows what's real anymore. And it's, you kind of see it now entered English politics and you kind of see it over here as well, actually, basically. It's a way in which they use it. And Jesus is just saying, when we put on the belt of truth, we're just praying, listen, just be people of integrity, be people of honesty, you know, the truth always comes out, no matter what. I'm old enough now that I've seen that happen. Just be people of truth. And then we pray for the breastplate of righteousness. And we're praying for our hearts there. Why? Because what did Jesus say? He said, don't have hearts of stone. Don't have hard hearts because you spend enough time around certain people and your heart will get hard. Have hearts of flesh. Have soft hearts. Be quick to forgive. Because only God's righteous. And so just have this breastplate of righteousness. Not full of self-righteousness. Just full of God. And then the gospel of peace. And we're really there praying for protection. That we're not going to get knocked off our feet. And that all the time we're just going to pray for that we be people of peace that we wouldn't know worry or anxiety or stress, but that we would just walk, and wherever we walk, we would just bring God's peace. So much so that people will look at you, and they'll look at the way that you talk, and you'll just bring peace into a room. Or you'll pray for someone, they don't even have to, be, have to be a Christian and they could be very, very stressed and all of a sudden you just pray and you just say, just pray for Jesus' peace and all of a sudden, just goes. Happened to me a month ago in the car park. 
praying for someone. And somebody told me afterwards of their, their experience. We just take the gospel of peace. We take hold of the, the shield of faith. Why do we take the shield of faith? We take the shield of faith because we read here, what do we read? The devil will try to attack us with the fiery darts. You know, the flaming arrows as we read here. Because that's what they used to fire in those days. That's why what a Roman soldier used to do, they used to douse their shield in water. So it would extinguish all those flaming arrows of the evil one. The darts of temptation, of sickness, of despair, all sent to, to attack our faith. I remember when it was happening once to me in my 20s and basically somebody said to me and they just said, Ian, where is your faith? And the rebuke of that kind of like cut through, get the shield up. And then we read, we pray and we put on the the helmet of salvation. You know, I'm convinced, I can't prove it medically, but I've seen it enough times that when we go through difficult times, whatever they are, whether they be mental, whether they be spiritual, whether they be physical, half the battle's in the mind. And so we remember What does Jesus want us to remember? He wants us to remember, as we sang last week, I am a child of God. And we pray for our protection over our mind because what did Jesus describe the devil as? An angel of light, masquerading as an angel of light, bringing doubts, discouragements, little words of deceit. And then we read... You may have noticed there's nothing for the back. He kind of like, well, it's, it's blindly obvious why there's nothing in the back because when you're, when you're facing your enemy in hand-to-hand combat, you don't turn around. Because that's just fatal. And he says, take hold of the sword of the Spirit. You know, we look here and we find it's the only offensive piece of the armour. And the word sword that we read is the word of God. We might think that means, oh, that's just the Bible. But actually the word word there isn't there logos like it would imply the whole of the Bible. It's the word rima. It's the word breath of God. In other words, it's about speaking out the promises of God over your life. Because that's what Jesus did, didn't he? You know, when Jesus was, was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, what did he do on three occasions? He just spoke out from the word of Deuteronomy. And that's what it means. It's about knowing the word of God. Just learn a verse of the Bible every week. And it helps you so much when you might feel like you're, you're struggling. Why? Because the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. You know, this was a bit like a, a Roman... Soldier's sword, we were looking at it last week, wasn't it? It was double-edged, sharp. It, wasn't, it was about this size. It wasn't much bigger than this because it was for close combat. But, you know, just like I wouldn't be able to hold a Roman sword like that, it would cut my fingers. But it's blunt. That's what a Roman sword is. It's blunt in comparison to the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, because it's a two-edged sword that just cuts through It'll just cut through everything. And when we pray and when we stand and we wrestle and when we're suited up, we're just shining in the light of the victory. 
And then thirdly and finally, we stand and wrestle by, by praying always. You know, if we were praying in the Spirit always, if we look at verse 18, you know, and if we look at the word there, if we, if we could all read Greek and we read the Greek verse 18, we'd find the word all there used in four different occasions. Here we've got the words all, every, always, and then all. It's a reminder that we stand and we wrestle and we pray always. You know, this is my prayer stone. Why do, one of the reasons I have my prayer stone is to remind me I have it in my pocket all the time. Just to pray always because I don't know about you, I forget. And I think I can just fix things myself. To pray in the Spirit is to pray with divine help, isn't it? It's just to, to pray every morning and to just say... Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And just lead me in my prayers. And it's amazing what happens when the Spirit prays through us rather than we pray in our own flesh. Because to pray in the Spirit is to pray with the authority that Jesus has given us. It's how we put on the armor of God. It's where the power from the armor comes on from praying in the Spirit. It's through praying in the Spirit that we can persevere and petition, keep petitioning God when it's difficult. It's through praying in the Spirit that we're strengthened to proclaim the gospel boldly. It's through praying in the Spirit that we stand and resist, especially Christian leaders. You know, I heard a story this week of a man called Raymond Edmund. Anyone ever heard of Raymond Edmund? Anyone? Raymond Edmund lived in the last century. He was a missionary. He went out from America to Ecuador. And in his early 20s, he became infected with a kind of deadly tropical disease. And the doctor treating him was an expert in these diseases, but quite literally he said to his wife there was no hope for him. And she told him to start preparing for his funeral. And so obviously, as they did in those days, what did she do? She was dyeing her wedding dress black. And then what happened was this. That same day, remember this is 100 years ago. This is not where you can just pick up a phone or send a text or social media. You couldn't even use a pigeon because it couldn't go that fast. 3,000 miles away from Ecuador, Raymond Edmund had an uncle called Joe who lived in Attleborough, Massachusetts. And for some, some reason, he couldn't explain it, he became deeply, inexplicably troubled for his nephew, Raymond Edmund, thinking he's in grave danger. And Joe at that time was, was attending a conference where there was about 200 people there. And he felt so persuaded that there was something wrong with his nephew that he interrupted the conference and he asked the 200 people who were at that conference, please will you pray? for my nephew, Joe. There's something going on in his life. He's 3,000 miles away, and it's something bad. Please, will you pray for them? You know, the people would talk about the prayers from that particular event, and they would still remember them decades after that they'd never prayed with such an intensity. They kind of prayed so much that they skipped lunch. They kept going till the afternoon until about 3 o'clock, and then... There was just this kind of peace that fell upon them. And they knew that they could stop praying. 
Meanwhile, Raymond had fallen unconscious. He'd kind of gone into this deep comatose and was aware of kind of like this loving presence entering the room if you've ever sometimes been with someone who's a Christian. And they're in their last moments and they're passing from this world to the next. They will often talk about this moment of a deep love entering the room and he could kind of feel himself almost ascending. And then he stopped. Because it wasn't his time to go. And to the amazement of those preparing his funeral, he regained consciousness and was completely healed. Incredible story of Raymond Edmund, but we don't know who he is or who he was. Why am I telling you the story? A few years afterwards, Raymond Edmund would become the president of a theological college in America, a very famous one called Wheaton. It's just out of Chicago. And shortly afterwards, a young student would arrive there who was called Billy. And the rest is history. Billy Graham would say of Raymond Edmund, quite simply, he was the most unforgettable Christian I ever met. The impact of prayers from Uncle Joe, 3,000 miles away. And what if he'd missed it? And what if he'd kind of just dismissed it as, oh, it's psychological, sociological rubbish, and so on from there, he'll be fine. Because we wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, Raymond Edmund would just simply say it was just Jesus and just dwelling with the Holy Spirit. We stand and we wrestle in these ways. You know, the Roman Empire, it stood strong for 206 years. 206 years. And it stood strong by destroying and by persecuting and enforcing its reign. And Jesus said in Matthew 5 to, the, to his followers, he said, let your light shine in the world so that they may see all that you do and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, that's what we do when we stand and wrestle. When we stand and we wrestle and we just remember whose we are in Jesus, the authority that we've been given and we remember his victory. We that's what we do when we suit up every day and put on the full armor. That's what we do by, when we pray always in the Spirit. And every time we do that, we let a little bit of His light in. We let a little bit of His light of His love and His peace and His truth and His righteousness and His faith and His salvation and His gospel. And kind of what happens is the kingdom of heaven comes on earth and his will is done on earth and his name is hallowed on earth. It's kind of why Christianity changed the world. And as far as I can see, it's the only way it'll change it again. Shall we pray?
Jesus, we just stand and we just claim your promises. of who we are in you. And Lord, we thank you for the victory that we have in you. And so Lord, we just claim those promises this morning. For those who need to go away and may just think, Lord, I'm just in you, in Christ. And just needs to remember those two words, in Christ. For those who need to take up that authority. Just take up that authority. For those who maybe had become disheartened and were thinking, what's the point of it all? May they just hold on to the victory that you have already won. For those who needed convincing about suiting up every day. And Lord, for those of us who might have become anemic in our prayers, may we just take hold of praying in the Spirit always we would ask. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Because there is no higher name than the name of Jesus. Amen.